Audio 113, Congregation of the Dead, Part 70, God's War, Part 23. Former Mr. Morality writes, The eyes of your understanding being opened, ye might know what is the exceeding greatness of his power to us words who believe in accordance to his mighty power. Ephesians 1.19. This message is entitled, Trapped in a Sin, We Need the Mighty Power of the New Creation. Now, a five-minute preface. In our last two messages, we have discussed that the fountain from which all evil in this world flows comes right out of our own heart. And we all know that because none of us are going to deny that we are liars. And if we extrapolate from that, if we are liars by nature... What about envy, jealousy, pride, fornication, adultery, sexual deviancy, and even drunkenness? And taking drunkenness as one example, we ask ourselves, as John Q. Public of America, how did we become an alcoholic? Except for the fact that God gave us over to our own evil proclivity of our heart. That is, we let the evil black cat of drunkenness out of our heart. And we continue to do that. And God simply said, okay, if you like drunkenness over me, I will simply give you over to drunkenness and you will become an alcoholic and you will eat, sleep, and drink alcohol, give up your family for alcohol, give up your friends for alcohol, give up your job for alcohol. You will worship alcohol. And thus God gave us over to what we desired. We desired to get drunk over worshiping God. For drunkenness is a sin, just as fornication is, just as murder is, just as lying is. And what is sin is sin is simply a transgression of God's law. So how do we prevent drunkenness? But we begin by making ourselves and our children aware of the fact that the fountain from which all evil in this world flows is right out of our own heart. Former Mr. Morality in Galatians chapter 5 gives us a partial list of these evil proclivities. Adultery, fornication, idolatry, witchcraft, envyings, murder, drunkenness, revelings, and such like. The which I tell you before, as I have told you in times past, that they which do these things shall not inherit the kingdom of God. So if we are doing these things, former Mr. Morality is saying we can have 100% assurance that we will not be going to heaven. All of us, says John Q. Public of America, know that we cannot eradicate the line that's in our heart. We can cover it up with morality, but we will always have a tendency to lie, and thus we must resist the line that's in our heart. And thus, God looks straight through our morality or immorality straight to our heart where our evil proclivities reside. And even if we never committed one lie in our heart, we would still be guilty of lying. For God cannot take a liar into heaven. God can only take 
those of us that are holy into heaven. And the only way that we can be holy is by the imputed righteousness of the second Adam. Jesus was the only one who fulfilled the commandments perfectly while he was here on earth. Thus, Jesus is the only one who was holy. And Jesus can impute his obedience to us. Thus, our sin nature is sin before it ever becomes an act of sin. Thus, in this message, we will find out how important it is for us to know the true function of the law in order to be delivered from alcoholism, fornication, etc. But before we begin this message, we are going to look into the autobiography of John Bunyan, the author of Pilgrim's Progress, and see how he looked back on his life of sin as did St. Augustine, and how grievous it was to him now that he was a true believer as did St. Augustine. Let us now commence with the reading of the autobiography of John Bunyan, which is entitled Grace Abounding to the Chief of Sinners, or a brief relation of the exceeding mercy of God in Christ to his poor servant, John Bunyan. And now we begin with his autobiography, quote, In this my relation of the merciful working of God upon my soul, it will not be amiss if in the first place I do in a few words give you a hint of my pedigree and manner of bringing up, that thereby the goodness and bounty of God towards me may be the more advanced and magnified before the sons of men. Paragraph 2. For my descent, then, it was, as is well known by many, of a low and inconsiderable generation, my father's house being of that rank that is meanest and most despised of all the families in the land. Wherefore, I have not here, as others, to boast of noble blood or of any high-born state, according to the flesh, Though all things considered, I magnify the heavenly majesty for that by his door he brought me into the world to partake of the grace and life that is in Christ by the gospel. Paragraph 3. But yet, notwithstanding the meanness and inconsiderableness of my parents, it pleased God to put into their hearts, to put me to school, to learn both to read and write, the which I also attained according to the rate of other poor men's children. Though to my shame, I confess, I did soon lose that I had learned, even almost utterly, and that long before the Lord did work his gracious work of conversion upon my soul. Paragraph 4. As for my own natural life, for the time that I was without God in the world, it was indeed, according to the course of this world and the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Ephesians 2, verses 2 and 3. It was my delight to be 
taken captive by the devil at his will. Second Timothy 2.26 Being filled with all unrighteousness, the which did also so strongly work and put forth itself both in my heart and life and that from a child, that I had but few equals, especially considering my years which were tender, being but few, both for cursing, swearing, lying, and blaspheming the holy name of God. Paragraph 5. Yea, so settled and rooted was I in these things, that they became as a second nature to me, the which as I have also with soberness considered since did so offend the Lord, that even in my childhood he did scarce and affrighten me with fearful dreams, and did terrify me with fearful visions, for often, after I have spent this and the other day in sin, I have in my bed been greatly afflicted while asleep with the apprehensions of devils and wicked spirits who still, as I then thought, labored to draw me away with them, of which I could never be rid. Paragraph 6. Also, I should at these years be greatly afflicted and troubled with the thoughts of the fearful torments of hellfire, still fearing that it would be my lot to be found at last among those devils and hellish fiends who are there bound down with the chains and bonds of darkness unto the judgment of the great day. Paragraph 7. These things I say, when I was but a child, but nine or ten years old, did so distress my soul that then in the midst of my many sports and childish vanities amidst my vain companions, I was often much cast down and afflicted in my mind therewith, yet could I not let go my sins. Yea, I was also then so overcome with despair of life and heaven that I should often wish either that there had been no hell or that I had been a devil, supposing they only were torments, that if it must needs be that I went thither, I might be rather a tormentor than be tormented myself. Paragraph 8. A while after those terrible dreams did leave me, which also I soon forgot, for my pleasures did quickly cut off the remembrance of them, as if they had never been. Wherefore, with more greediness, according to the strength of nature, I did still let loose the reins of my lust and delighted in all transgressions against the law of God, so that until I came to the state of marriage, I was the very ringleader of all the youth that kept me company. 
in all manner of vice and ungodliness. Paragraph 9. Yea, such prevalency had the lusts and fruits of the flesh in this poor soul of mine that had not a miracle of precious grace prevented. I had not only perish by the stroke of eternal justice, but had also laid myself open even to the stroke of those laws which bring some to disgrace and open shame before the face of the world. Paragraph 10. In these days, the thoughts of religion were very grievous to me. I could neither endure it myself, nor that any other should. So that when I have seen some read in those books that concern Christian piety, it would be as it were a prison to me. Then I said unto God, Depart from me, for I desire not the knowledge of thy ways. Job 21.14 Paragraph 15 I was now void of all good consideration. Heaven and hell were both out of sight and mind. And as for saving and damning, they were least in my thoughts. O Lord, thou knowest my life and my ways were not hid from thee. Paragraph 11 But this I well remember that though I could myself sin with the greatest delight and ease and also take pleasure in the vileness of my companions, yet even then, if I had at any time seen wicked things by those who professed goodness, it would make my spirit tremble. As once above all the rest, when I was in the height of vanity, yet hearing one to swear that was reckoned for a religious man, it had so great a stroke upon my spirit that it made my heart ache. Paragraph 12. But God did not utterly leave me, but followed me still, not now with convictions, but judgments, yet such as were mixed with mercy. For once I fell into a creek of the sea and hardly escaped drowning. Another time I fell out of a boat into Bedford River, but mercy yet preserved me alive. Besides, another time being in a field with one of my companions, it chanced that an adder passed over the highway, so I, having a stick in my hand, struck her over the back, and having stunned her, I forced open her mouth with my stick and plucked her sting out with my fingers, by which act had not God seen merciful unto me, I might by my desperateness have brought myself to an end. Paragraph 13. This also I have taken notice of with thanksgiving. When I was a soldier, I with others were drawn out to go to such a place to besiege it. But when I was just ready to go, one of the company desired to go in my room, to which when I had consented, he took my place. And coming to the siege, as he stood sentinel, he was shot in the head with a musket bullet and died. 
paragraph 14. Here, as I said, were judgments and mercy, but neither of them did awaken my soul to righteousness. Wherefore, I still sinned and grew more and more rebellious against God and careless of my own salvation. Paragraph 15. Presently after this, I changed my condition into a married state, and my mercy was to light upon a wife whose father was counted godly. This woman and I, though we came together as poor as poor might be, not having so much household stuff as a dish or a spoon betwixt us, yet this she had for her part. Two books, The Plain Man's Pathway to Heaven and The Practice of Piety, which her father had left her when he died. Let us end the reading of John Bunyan's autobiography there, and let us commence with the message entitled, Trapped in a Sin, We Need the Divine Power of the New Creation. As we have spoken about many, many times, we are either 100% a natural man, or we are 100% a spiritual man. Our fast food free will friends and theologians downplay the new creation and how powerful it is. For it takes power to deliver us from 100% spiritual darkness into 100% spiritual light. If we have any cooperation in our new creation, then we are still a natural man. And our fast food free will theologians put the salvation of our soul into our own hands rather than 100% into God's hands. The new creation is no different than our natural birth. And that is why Jesus uses the word born. For common sense tells us that any of us as Americans had no control over our natural birth. No animal or any living creature has control over its birth. It is something that happens to them. We just show up here on earth. So when Jesus uses the word born again, we as John Q. Public of America think of our natural birth, that our spiritual birth is the same as our natural birth. We had no way of accepting or rejecting our natural birth. It is something that happened to us. And we have no way of accepting or rejecting our spiritual birth. It is something that happens to us. Jesus says to the fast food free will theologian Nicodemus, in Fisherman John chapter 3, verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. A natural man births a natural man. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The phrase born of the flesh is a perfect passive participle. John throws the ball is in the active voice. John is hit by the ball is in the passive voice. Born of the flesh is in the passive voice, which means it's something that happened to us. But this is also in the perfect passive. The New Testament is written in Koine Greek, 
because that was the language of the people. The Jews spoke Hebrew, but because most of the people spoke Koine Greek, they preached in Koine Greek. In Koine Greek, there is a past tense that we do not have in English. We can say in English that our great-grandparents' house was built in 1903, but we do not know if that house is still standing today. But in Koine Greek, we can say that our grandparents' house was built in 1903. And if we say it in the perfect tense, we can know that that house is still standing today. So if we say born of the Spirit in the perfect passive, because it is passive, we know we have no fingerprints of cooperation on our spiritual birth. And if it's in the perfect tense, we can know once it is born of the Spirit and we are made a new creation, then we are still a new creation today. We are not a natural man. Once we are born of the Spirit, we are a new creation, and we do not go back to being a natural man. Likewise, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. A natural man can only birth another natural man. Thus, the natural man and the spiritual man are two totally different creatures with different characteristics, but with some similarities. And as we have mentioned many times, a dog and a cat have some similarities. A dog has paws, a cat has paws. A dog has eyes, a cat has eyes. A dog has ears, a cat has ears. A dog smells, a cat smells. But a dog barks and a cat meows. And we can't make a dog meow. And we can't make a cat wag its tail in friendship to its master. A dog is a dog and a cat is a cat. We can't tweak a dog and make it into a cat. But our fast food free will theologians tell us that we can have some amount of fingerprints of cooperation in being made a new creation. That we can reject Jesus if we choose. But Jesus tells Nicodemus in John chapter 3 verse 6, that which is born of the flesh is flesh. Natural men born natural men. And that which is born of the spirit is spirit. The spirit births spiritual men. Verse 7, marvel not Nicodemus that I said unto thee, ye must be born Again, verse 8, the wind bloweth where it listeth, and thou hearest the sound thereof. Thou canst not tell whence it cometh or whither it goest. You can't stop or start the wind. It just comes upon you. So is everyone. So is everyone that is born in the perfect passive born of the Spirit. Verse 9, Nicodemus, being a fast food, free will theologian, a scholar of the Old Testament, answered and said unto Jesus, how can these things be? In other words, how can it be true that we have absolutely no control on whether or not we are going to go to heaven or hell? 
How is that possible? And we have discussed this many times over, and that is really not the point in this message. In this message, we are talking about being trapped in a sin, maybe the sin of alcoholism, addicted to fentanyl, or pornography, or adult movies, or having fornication because we are living with someone, or continually having one night stands with the opposite sex. Or maybe we are a pedophile. And our fast food free will friends are offering us a fast food free will Jesus, in which all we are doing is tweaking our natural man. But those of us that are weak in nature may have a hard time tweaking our natural man to cure itself of alcoholism or drugs. Whereas those of us that have a strong constitution may be able to deliver ourselves cold turkey. But the fact is we are still a natural man and there is a huge amount of difference in the power available to the new creation that the natural man does not have. Now, former Mr. Morale had a very strong constitution as a fast food free will theologian. He says in Philippians chapter three, verse four, though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. In other words, if you think you as natural men Americans are moral, I can assure you I was more moral. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinketh that he hath whereof he might trust in the flesh, I more. Verse 5, circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law of Pharisee. Verse 6, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. That is, I was so arrogant that I thought I was blameless before the law. I mean to tell you, I made a fast food free will decision for the Messiah of my choice, and I had my foot on the accelerator. I was the Hebrew of the Hebrews. I was one of the top theologians. I was above my equals. Pedal to the metal in worshiping my fast food free will Messiah. But all I was was a tweaked, natural men. I thought I was spiritual, but I had not a spiritual bone in my body. I was 100% a natural man. But now as a new creation, I am 100% a spiritual man. I told my brethren in Corinth the following, 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, and that would include me, for I am now in Christ. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature. I am not a tweaked dog. I am a new spiritual cat. I have totally different characteristics than I had as a dog, but with some similarities. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new 
creature, old things, that would be the natural man, old things are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. And that word become that I'm using is in the perfect tense, which means when I was made a new creation, I am still a new creation today. I can't go back to being a natural man any longer. Therefore, if any man be in Christ, he is a new creature, old things. My natural man characteristics are passed away. Behold, all things are become new. I have completely new characteristics. I am not a dog trying to meow. I am a total new creature. And I told my brethren in Ephesus that I was chosen to be made a new creation by God before the foundation of the world. And Jesus was right in John chapter 17, verses 1 and 2, when he said in one of his very last prayers, John chapter 17, verse 1, these words spake Jesus and lifted up his eyes to heaven and said, Father, the hour is come. Glorify thy son. That would be me. That thy son also may glorify thee. Verse 2, as thou, Father, has given him, that would be me, power over all flesh in order that he, that would be me, Jesus, should give eternal life to who? To as many as thou, Father, hath given him, given me. Verse 9, and I, Jesus, pray for them. I pray not for the world, but for them which thou hast given me, for they are thine. So Jesus can only give eternal life to the ones that were given to him by his Father before the foundation of the world. And I explained this to my brethren in Ephesus. That is, my brethren who were made new creations just as I was made a new creation. Ephesians chapter 1 verse 3. Here's what I said. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us. That would be my Ephesian brethren and me, which in reality is, speaking generally, is the elect. Blessed be God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings. Now the natural man, can't have spiritual blessings because the natural man is not spiritual. It's only the new creation, only the spiritual man that can have spiritual blessings. Blessed be God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who hath blessed us with all spiritual blessings in the heavenly places in Christ. Verse 4, according he hath chosen us. That is, our Father in heaven hath chosen us in who? In him. Who is him? Hath chosen us 
in Christ. When were we chosen in Christ? Chosen in him before the foundation of the world. Why did our Father in heaven choose us in Christ? Because Christ is the second Adam and he would do what the first Adam didn't do. And what is it that the first Adam didn't do? He didn't stay holy. And you have to be holy to go to heaven. And why didn't he stay holy? But for the fact that he broke one commandment. If we break one commandment, we are no longer holy because you have to be without sin to be holy. And when you break a commandment, that is called sin. And so Jesus let us know in Matthew chapter 5, verse 17, that he was going to come and do what the first Adam didn't do. Verse 17, think not that I am come to destroy the law. I didn't come to destroy the law. No. Think not that I am come to destroy the law or the prophets. I am not come to destroy the law, but to fulfill. Fulfill what? Fulfill the law for you, for I am the second Adam. And I can impute my fulfillment of the law here on earth to you in order to make you holy and thus fit for heaven, blameless before the law. Now, let me go back to what I said to my brethren in Ephesus. Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4. According as he, the Father, hath chosen us, that would be me and my brethren in Ephesus, or all of us elect, according as our Father hath chosen his elect in Christ. Why? Because Christ fulfilled the moral law for us. It was planned out before the foundation of the world. According as he hath chosen us in him before the foundation of the world. We, the elect, were chosen by our Father before the foundation of the world. Why? In order that we should be holy. Why are we going to be holy? Because Jesus fulfilled the moral law for us. And without blame before him in love. And why are we without blame? Because Jesus fulfilled the moral law for us. Verse 5, having predestined us unto the adoption of children. Now, why do the elect need to be adopted? Well, we, as John Q. Public of America, are a simple people. And when former Mr. Morality uses the word adoption, we, we don't have a problem with that. We know that if a family in America adopts a child, that that child was not birthed by them. That child had a different mother and father. So when former Mr. Morality writes, having predestined us unto the adoption of children, 
That means we, the elect of America, came into this world with a different spiritual father than our spiritual father in heaven. And who might that spiritual father be? Well, we are liars by nature, adulterers by nature, murderers by nature. And Jesus himself said what? That Satan is the father of lies and was a murderer from the beginning. So we have a nature in likeness to Satan, not in likeness to Jesus or our father in heaven. But Satan is a not a nice guy. And he does not want to give up the elect without a fight. Satan is the strong man armed. But Jesus is the stronger man that must come in and bind Satan in order to release us before we can be adopted. And our Father in heaven cannot adopt us until we become spiritual. Thus, Jesus must make us a new creation before we can be adopted. For our Father in heaven cannot adopt a natural man. He can only adopt a new creation, a spiritual man. Verse five, having predestined us unto the adoption of children by Jesus Christ to himself, the father, according to the good pleasure of his will, not our fast food free will as natural men Americans. I explained this adoption to my brethren in Galatia. Galatians chapter four, verse three. So we, that would be my brethren in Galatia and myself, former Mr. Morality, even so we, when we were children, were in bondage under the elements of this world. And who controls the world? But Satan is the prince of this world. So we were in bondage to Satan. Verse four, but when the fullness of time was come, God the Father sent forth his son, made of a woman, that would be Mary, made under the law. What law? Well, the same law that Adam was under. And what law was Adam under? But the covenant of works. Adam had to keep the commandments perfectly, not to go to hell. But Adam did not keep them perfectly. For God told him that he could eat freely of any tree in the garden, except for the tree of the knowledge of good and evil. And if he ate of that tree, he would die. He would be put to death by God. But when the fullness of time was come, God the Father sent forth his son, Jesus, made of a woman, made under the law. Jesus had to keep the law perfectly for 33 years. For who? But for his elect. And his fulfillment of the law is called what? It is called the righteousness of God, which includes both his passive obedience when he voluntarily took on his elect's sin nature. He was made original sin. He who knew no sin, Jesus who knew no sin, Jesus who kept the commandments 
perfectly. He who knew no sin was made sin. What sin? Original sin. For what purpose? In order that we, the elect, might be made the righteousness of God. That is Jesus' fulfillment of the law for us. Back to Galatians chapter 4, verse 4. But when the fullness of time was come, God sent forth his son, Jesus, made of a woman, Mary, made under the law, the same law that Adam was under. Verse 5, for what reason? To redeem them that were under the law. And how did he redeem his elect? By fulfilling the moral law for them. To redeem them that were under the law. That is the covenant of works, the same law that Adam was under, which demands perfection, to redeem them that were under the law of perfection. Why did he do that? In order that we, the elect, might receive the adoption of sons. So we are made a new creation. And then we are adopted in verse 6. And because ye are sons, that is sons of God, God hath sent the spirit of his son, Jesus, into your hearts, crying, Abba, Father. For now you are spiritual. And because you are spiritual, you could see and know your father for the first time, and you're crying, Abba, Father. Verse 8, how be it then, when ye knew not God? Before you cried, Abba, Father, ye did not know God. How be it then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. I as a Pharisee, a fervent Pharisee with a fake Messiah was worshiping no God. I was a scholar of the Old Testament. And in Psalm 115, I had no idea that this applied to me. Psalm 115, not unto us, O Lord, but unto thy name give glory for thy mercy and for thy truth sake. Verse 2, wherefore should the heathen say, where is now their God? Verse 3, but our God is in the heavens. He hath done whatsoever he hath pleased. Verse 4, their idols are silver and gold, the work of men's hands. Verse 5, they have mouths, but they speak not. Eyes they have, but they see not. Verse 6, they have ears, but they hear not. Noses have they, but they smell not. Verse 7, they have hands, but they handle not. Feet have they, but they walk not. Neither speak they through their throat. Verse 8, they that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. Verse 9, O Israel, O the elect, trust thou in the Lord. He is their help and their shield. Now back to my letter to the Galatians, chapter 4, verse 8. How be it then, when ye knew not 
God. That was me. I knew not God as a Pharisee. Nicodemus did not know God. Howbeit then, when ye knew not God, ye did service unto them which by nature are no gods. They are idols. They have eyes, but they don't see. Ears, but they don't hear. Mouths, but they don't speak. They that make them are like unto them. So is everyone that trusteth in them. Now, how many of us natural men Americans are trusting in a false Jesus, an idol? I was so blind as a Pharisee, but now I get it. I told my brethren in Rome the following, in Romans chapter 1, verse 22, professing themselves to be wise, which all we Pharisees did, professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. We, the Pharisee, became fools. And how did we become fools? Verse 23, and changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image. Jesus the uncorruptible God was standing right in front of us. And we changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image. We didn't see the spiritual side of Jesus. We only saw the Son of Man, Joseph and Mary's son, the Jesus that was a carpenter. And we changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man. We rejected the true Jesus. The true Jesus was not only the son of man, but he was also the son of God. And we were not spiritual and we couldn't see the spiritual side of Jesus. And so what do all of us do? That would include you natural men Americans. We take a fake Jesus or a fake Messiah and turn it into a Jesus that fits our natural man, that fits our agenda. 23, and change the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like to corruptible man and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Verse 24, Wherefore, God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lust of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves. Verse 25, who changed the truth of God, who changed the true Jesus. We, the Pharisees, along with you, Americans, changed the truth of God, changed the true Jesus into a lie, changed the true Jesus into a fake Jesus fits our agenda and worshiped and served the creature more than the creator. And who is the creator of everything? Jesus himself, who is blessed forever. Amen. Again, verse 25, who changed the truth of God, the true Jesus, into a lie, a fake Jesus, and worshiped and served the creature, the fake Jesus, more than the creator, which is the true Jesus. I, former Mr. Morality, as a Pharisee, worshiped a fake Messiah. 
but I no longer change the truth of God, change the true Jesus into a lie, into a fake Jesus, and worship and serve the creature as a man-made Jesus more than the creator, more than the true Jesus. For now I am 100% sure that Jesus is the creator. For I wrote to my brethren and Coloss the following. Colossians chapter 1 verse 15. Who? That is Jesus. Jesus is the image of the invisible God. That is the Father. The firstborn of every creature. The firstborn means that Jesus was the first one to rise from the dead in his new spiritual body of flesh and bone, where he could pass through locked doors, he could eat broiled fish, etc. Who is the image? Jesus is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of every creature. Verse 16, for by Jesus were all things created that are in heaven, and that are in earth, visible and invisible, whether they be thrones or dominions or principalities or powers, all things were created by Jesus and for Jesus. Now this is the man, this is me, former Mr. Morality who helped my colleagues to hand Jesus over to be crucified by the Romans. This is the man who persecuted his followers for six to eight years. And now I am saying he is the creator of all things. Verse 17, and Jesus is before all things. And by Jesus, all things consist. All things are held together. Verse 18, and Jesus is the head of the body, the church, who is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in all things he might have the preeminence. Verse 19, for it pleased the Father that in, in Jesus should all the fullness dwell fullness of God dwells. Verse 20, and having made peace through the blood of his cross by him to reconcile all things unto himself by him, I say, whether they be things in earth or things in heaven. Verse 21, and you that were sometimes alienated, that is perfect passive again from your conception, and you that were sometimes alienated and enemies in your mind by wicked works, yet now hath he reconciled, verse 22, in the body of his flesh through death to present you holy, because he fulfilled the commandments for you, and unblameable and unreprovable in his sight, verse 23. If ye continue in the faith grounded and settled from the moment of your new creation, from the moment of your spiritual birth, and be not moved away from the hope of the gospel which ye have heard, 
which was preached to every creature which is under the heaven, wherefore I, Paul, am made a minister. Now, think about that. Here I was, one of the worst persecutors of the church, and now I am saying all of this about Jesus. Why? Because I have been made a new creature. I am no longer a dog. I am a spiritual cat. I am no longer a natural man. I am a spiritual new creation. I was 100% natural and I'm 100% spiritual. And now I can see the spiritual and talk about the spiritual for I can see that Jesus was not only the son of man, but he is the son of God. I have spiritual eyes, except we be born again. We cannot see the kingdom of God. We cannot see the true Jesus. Now, hopefully we are beginning to see that this becoming a new creation, being made a new creation, is a whole new ball game. And if we are trapped in a sin and we are made a new creation by Jesus, we are a brand new creature with power, power over sin that we never had before. And I, former Mr. Morality, explained this to my Ephesian brethren in chapter 1, verse 15. Wherefore, I, former Mr. Morality, also, after I heard of your faith, that is his Ephesian brethren, in the Lord Jesus Christ, and love unto all the saints, we now love those that are truly new creations. For since we are spiritual, we can identify with other spiritual new creations. And so therefore we love the saints. In the original language, in Koine Greek, the word for saint is holy. And thus we love the saints for they are holy, which means they have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. 15, wherefore I also, after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus Christ and your love unto all the saints, Verse 16, I, former Mr. Morality, cease not to keep giving thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom, that is spiritual wisdom, spiritual wisdom is completely different than the natural man wisdom. We must ask God that all our natural man wisdom will perish, that God might impute to us his spiritual wisdom. God is not interested in our strength or our might. And so we must pray that all our natural man might will perish, that Jesus can impute his spiritual might, his spiritual power to us. Verse 17, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and the revelation in the knowledge of Jesus. Verse 
18th. And this is another perfect passive participle. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding be enlightened. When? At the moment that you were made a new creation. This is perfect passive. You had no cooperation in it. It was passive. And it is in the perfect tense, which means that you still have it. Your eyes have been lightened from the moment that you were made a new creation. Verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened in order that ye may know what is the hope of his calling. What the hope of his calling is for you. The second thing, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened that you may know what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What is an inheritance? An inheritance is something we receive after our parents or someone else dies and they will their inheritance to us. So usually an inheritance comes after a death. Verse 18 again, and the eyes of your understanding being enlightened again in order that ye may know what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. When Jesus was crucified for us and when Jesus took on hell for us and fulfilled the commandments for us, we became his inheritance he inherited his elect, but we, the elect, inherit him when we have a spiritual death. I wrote to my brethren in Rome, chapter 6 of Romans, verse 3. Know ye not, my Roman brethren, that so many of us, that would be he and his Roman brethren or the elect, as were baptized into Jesus Christ, not with water, but by spirit baptism, were baptized into his death. Verse four, therefore we are buried with him by baptism into death, that like as Christ was raised up from the dead, the glory of the Father, even so we also should walk in newness of life as a new creation. We have a death and a resurrection, and we rise up as a spiritual new creation. Verse five, for if we have been planted together in the likeness of his death, we shall be also in the likeness of his resurrection. And thus we are Christ's inheritance, and Christ is our inheritance. King David understood this in Psalm 16, verse 5. The Lord is the portion of mine inheritance and of my cup. Six, the lines are fallen unto me in pleasant places. Yea, I have a goodly heritage. In other words, Christ is my inheritance. So former Mr. Morality is saying, look, the moment that I was made a new creation or the moment that you are made a new creation, verse 18, the eyes of your understanding being 
enlightened from the moment that you were made a new creation, perfect, passive, participle, in order that ye may know, number one, what is the hope of his calling for you? And what is the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints? And now verse 19, the third thing. And what is the exceeding greatness of his power to usward, that is his elect, who have been made a new creation, who believe according to the working of his mighty power, verse 20, which he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead. In other words, we as new creations have the same power available to us, the same power that raised Jesus Christ from the dead by his father. Now that is a whole lot of power. And those of us Americans that are trapped in these sins of alcoholism, drugs, pedophiles, theft, adultery, fornication, we can have a lot of hope. For if we are made a new creation, we will have power available to us. If we're an alcoholic, we will never again have to go to Alcoholics Anonymous. For we are a new creation. And I told this to my brethren in Ephesus 2, verse 1. And you, my brethren in Ephesus, and you, Americans, natural men Americans, hath he quickened. He has made you a new creation who were dead in your trespasses and sins. You were so dead in your trespasses and sin that you did not see that your original sin was sin. You did not see that the evil proclivities of your heart were sin and that your original sin was condemning you to hell and that you thus had no hope to flee to the righteousness of Christ, his obedience for you. And you hath he quickened or made alive or made a new creation who were dead in trespasses and sin. You didn't even know that drunkenness was a sin. For the world tells you it's just a disease. You were not aware that it was God that gave you over to drunkenness. Why? Because... You liked the drink. You didn't repent over it. So you continued to drink and drink. And you want to worship drinking more than me? That's fine. I'll just give you over to drinking. And you will become a drunk. And you will give up your job. You will give up your family. You will give up your life for drunkenness. You will eat, sleep, and drink drunkenness. You will worship the God of drunkenness. Verse 1 again, and you hath he made alive, made a new creation, who were dead in trespasses and sin. Verse 2, wherein time passed, that is, before you were made a new creation, my Ephesian brethren, and those of you Americans who have been elected and are made a new creation, wherein in time past ye walked according to the course of this world according to the prince of the power of the air. And who might that be? But all of you natural men Americans are born into this world with Satan as your spiritual father. And who is he? The prince of the power of the air, 
the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. All of you natural men, Americans, are born into this world as children of disobedience because you have the fountain from which all evil in this world flows, flowing right out of your own heart. You have a heart that is in defiance to God. Verse 2 again, wherein in time past you walked according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, that is Satan, the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience, which means all of us that are born into this world, according to the course of this world, according to the prince of the power of the air, which is the spirit that now worketh in the children of disobedience. Verse 3, and whom also we all had our conversation in times past in the lusts of our flesh, in the evil proclivities of our flesh, on whom also we all had our conversation or lifestyle in times past, that is before we were made a new creation, in times past in the lusts of our flesh. We were controlled by the evil proclivities of our heart. And all those evil proclivities of our heart are in defiance to God. And thus we all, now former Mr. Morality is speaking to his brethren in Ephesus, and he uses the word we. Also, we all had our lifestyle. So that would include former Mr. Morality and his Ephesian brethren. And this could include you Americans that are one of the elect that has been elected or are true believers. So we, the elect that are true believers, all had our lifestyle in times past in the lust of our flesh, fulfilling the desires of our flesh. In other words, we were letting the evil black cat escape from our heart. Now, this is a participle, and a participle is a verbal adjective, as we have discussed. So, this verbal adjective is modifying we, we the elect who have been elected. So, we the elect, fulfilling the desires of the flesh and the desires of the mind and were by nature the children of wrath as others before we were elected. We all had our lifestyle in times past in the lusts of our flesh. So I, former Mr. Morality, was just like all of you natural men Americans, where I went about fulfilling the desires of the flesh. I was allowing those evil proclivities of my heart to escape, and I was fulfilling the desires of my mind. And what was one of the desires of my mind? I envied Jesus so much that I helped hand him over to Pilate to be crucified. But in verse 4, here's what I said. But God, who is rich in mercy for his great love, wherewith he loved us. That is, 
he loved his elect that were given to him by his father. He loved them so much. That would include me, former Mr. Marley. He loved me so much, even when I was that evil Pharisee. It's for again, but God, who is rich in mercy. When we cry out for mercy, we are asking God to not judge us with the judgment that we deserve. For, but God, who is rich in mercy, for his great love wherewith he loved us, his elect. Verse 5, even when we were dead in sins, we were clueless of how evil our sin nature was. Quickened us, that is, hath made us a new creation, a new spiritual creation. Five again, even when we were dead in sins, hath quickened us together with Christ. By grace ye are saved. Verse six, and hath raised us up together and made us sit together in heavenly places in Christ Jesus. We are now spiritual and the spirit of Christ now literally lives in us. Verse seven, that in ages to come, he might show the exceeding riches of his grace in his kindness towards us through Christ Jesus. Verse eight, for by grace are you saved through faith. For by the righteousness of God are you saved through faith, and that not of yourselves. It is a gift of God. Grace is a gift of God. The righteousness of God is a gift of God. Verse 9, not of works. It's not by our self-righteousness, lest any man should boast. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ, made a new creation, created. We are a new life, a new creation. We have been created. We are no longer a dog, but we are a cat. We are no longer a natural man, but we are a created new creation, brand new with some similarities, but we have totally different characteristics. Verse 10, for we are his workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained, before the foundation of the world, works which God hath prepared before the foundation of the world. His workmanship, created in Christ Jesus unto good works, which God hath before ordained. Those good works have been before ordained in order that we should walk in them. Those of us elect, who have been elected, who have been made new creations, can look back through our life and see that our entire life from the time we were birthed into this world and then lived our life, we can look back and see 
that everything that we went through, God was using to prepare us for the day that we would be made a new creation. And he would use that experience to carry out the good works before ordained that we should walk in them. I told my brethren in Galatia, Galatians chapter 1, verse 16, but when it pleased God, who separated me from my mother's womb, he knew that I was one of the elect in my mother's womb. And he called me by his grace. For what reason? Verse 16, to reveal his son in me that I might preach Christ among the heathen immediately I conferred not with flesh and blood. I didn't need to. For when we are made a new creation, we are 100% sure that the true Jesus has been revealed to us by our Father in heaven. And I told my Galatian brethren also in Galatians chapter 1, verse 10, For do I now persuade men or God? Or do I seek to please men? For if I yet please men, I should not be the servant of Christ. Verse 11, But I certify you, brethren, that the gospel which was preached of me is not after men. There was no fingerprints on it. I had nothing to do with it. Verse 12, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it. Yes, I was a Pharisee, a Old Testament scholar. Yes, I was taught by Jesus. Yes, I was taught by his followers that I was persecuting for six to eight years. But I'm here to tell you, this was supernatural. Verse 12, for I neither received it of man, neither was I taught it of man, but by the revelation of Jesus Christ, my Father in heaven revealed Jesus to me. And I am here to tell you that I can look back through my life and everything that happened to me was preordained to prepare me to be a missionary apostle to the Gentiles throughout the Mediterranean area. Before I was made a new creation, I was a top-notch scholar above my equals. And all my natural man understanding could not help me in understanding the Bible. But once I was made a new creation, God used that scholarship to help me to write sophisticated things about our Lord Jesus Christ. And Peter himself wrote, in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. That is W-R-E-S-T. Second Peter chapter 3, verse 14. Wherefore, beloved, seeing that ye look for such things, be diligent that ye may be found of Christ in peace, without spot and blameless, Verse 15, 
and account that the long suffering of our Lord is, that is, equal to salvation, even as our beloved brother Paul, also according to the wisdom given unto him, hath written unto you, verse 16, as also in all his epistles, speaking in them of these things in which are some things hard to be understood, which they that are unlearned and unstable rest as they do also the other scriptures unto their own destruction. 17. Ye therefore, beloved, seeing ye know these things before, beware, lest ye also, being led away with the error of the wicked, fall from your own steadfastness. Verse 18. But grow in grace and in the knowledge of our Lord and Savior Jesus Christ. To him be the glory both now and forever. Amen. So again, Fisherman Peter says, as also in all his epistles, that would be my epistles, speaking in them of these things in which some things hard to be understood. By who? Which they that are unlearned and unstable rest. W-R-E-S-T. Now, an example of things being hard to understand to those people that are uneducated is the book of Romans, especially the first 11 chapters. Those of us that have spent much time studying Euclidean geometry recognize that the first 11 chapters of Romans is basically a geometry proof. Euclid wrote the geometry book called The Elements in 300 BC. And most likely the Apostle Paul had diligently studied Euclid. For in the book of Romans, former Mr. Morality quotes out of the Old Testament 52 times. And the majority of these quotes come in the first 11 chapters when he is proving that salvation is faith in the righteousness of God. In Euclidean geometry, you have the given and then the prove, and then you use the theorems and postulates to make your case through deduction. In the book of Romans, he's quoting, as I said, 52 times out of the Old Testament. These quotes would be the same as the theorems in geometry. And when you get to the end of a proof in geometry, you say, therefore, such and such is true. For example, in Romans chapter 3, verse 28, former Mr. Morality writes, therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. And to prove that, he had quoted several times out of the Old Testament. For example, in verse 10, he writes, As it is written. Written where? But in the Old Testament. Psalm 5, Psalm 14, Psalm 53. There is none righteous, no, not one. There is none that understandeth. There is none that seeketh after God. Verse 12. They are all gone out of the way. They are together become unprofitable. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Psalm 53 is very close to this. Psalm 53, verse 2. 
God looked down from heaven upon the children of men to see if there were any that did understand, that did seek God. Verse 3, every one of them has gone back. They are all together become filthy. There is none that doeth good, no, not one. Even if we are a pastor that has been made a new creation and we are not familiar with how to read a geometry proof, it is very easy to mess up the interpretation. Also, we have to be well-versed in grammar, understanding what a perfect passive participle is, as we discussed earlier. Here is another example, Romans chapter 3, verse 23. For all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. Many pastors think that all is talking about everybody, but it is not because verse 24 is a participle. It is a verbal adjective. Verse 24 reads, being justified freely by his grace through the redemption that is in Christ Jesus. The only people that are justified are those that have become believers. So verse 24, reading, being justified freely, modifies the word all in verse 23. For all the ones being freely justified. And justified means innocent in God's courtroom. It's a legal term. So this is talking about the believers. So verse 23 should read, for all the ones being freely justified, for all the true believers have sinned and come short of the glory of God. It is the true believers that are falling short of the glory of God. And they know they're falling short of the glory of God because they see the fountain from which all evil in this world flows is right out of their own heart. So it is the same when former Mr. Morality says, I find a law that when I would do good, my evil sin nature is present with me. And King David said, I acknowledge my transgression and my sin nature is ever before me. Against thee and thee only have I sinned and done this evil in thy sight. Because it's just between me and God for it's only God and I that know that I am repenting over the evil proclivities of my heart. For they have yet to become an act of sin. So it's just between me and God. For all the elect have sinned because they are seeing the evil proclivities of their heart and are coming short of the glory of God. Then skipping down, why? To declare his righteousness, that is Christ's righteousness for the remission of sins. Verse 26, to declare, I say, at this time, his righteousness, that he might be and the justifier of him which believeth in Jesus. Where is the boasting then? It is excluded by what law? Of works? Nay, but by the law of faith. Therefore, we conclude that a man is justified by faith without the deeds of the law. So if we were to take King James Bible, which is by far the most accurate Bible, and just read the first 11 chapters of Romans. And every time we come to the word therefore, we read former Mr. Morality's conclusion. And by just reading those therefores, you can determine 
pretty much that the ticket into heaven is believing by faith in the righteousness of God. Also, the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. And if we can read the Koine Greek, we would find that most of the time when former Mr. Morality is speaking about the sin nature, there is the article the in front of the word sin. Now, there's a lot of difference between the sin and just sin. There's a lot of difference between the John and a John. The John is a specific John. The sin is a specific sin. And it refers most of the time to the sin nature. Even in the King James, which is, again, by far the most accurate Bible, the King James does not have the word the in front of sin. So you can't distinguish between a sin and the sin, which is very important in the interpretation of the first 11 chapters of Romans. So the point being, former Mr. Morality was a scholar and he writes as a scholar. And thus it is hard for the unlearned to follow his argument. And the book of Romans is one of the most important books in the Bible. For a former Mr. Morality gives a comprehensive proof that salvation is equal to faith in the righteousness of God, contrary to what he believed as a Pharisee. In fact, he would have had to admit to himself that Fisherman Peter had the right interpretation because Fisherman Peter was spiritual, but former Mr. Morality as a Pharisee was not spiritual, so he couldn't even read the Old Testament. But now, as a new creation, he rereads that same Old Testament, and he says that idiot fisherman was right. But now, since he knows the Old Testament so well, he uses the Old Testament scriptures to prove that Jesus was the Messiah, when as a Pharisee, he was clueless that he was the true Messiah. So the point being, if we are still in school, we should take our grammar school very important. And if we are out of school and we want to interpret the Bible, we should go back and study grammar. Also, if we have the opportunity to study Koine Greek, we should do it. For the New Testament was written in Koine Greek. And if we have not studied Euclid, Euclid again wrote the geometry book called The Elements in 300 BC. Then if we are still in school, we should take our geometry very seriously for it will help us tremendously in interpreting the Bible, especially when reading the Apostle Paul in Romans. On the other hand, God uses all types of people. Luke was written by Dr. Luke. He was a physician. And if you were to study Koine Greek, they don't start with Dr. Luke because he uses sophisticated language. They start with Fisherman John, who writes in monosyllabic syllables. That is one syllable word. So he's very easy to read in the Greek. But whether we're educated or uneducated, that is, God can use us as a Pharisee or God can use us as a fisherman. God used a tax collector to write Matthew. God used a physician to write Luke. God used two fishermen to write Peter and John. God used the prophet Moses to write the first five books of the Bible. And God used a king to write 
over half of the Psalms, that is King David. But nevertheless, we should take our education seriously, especially our grammar and Euclidean geometry, which is a, just a fabulous course if it's taught right. But it is being dropped from many of the high schools, especially those schools that are using the author Saxon for algebra through calculus. But never let us forget, even if we are not well educated, that if we are a new creation, the Spirit of God can teach us the spiritual meaning of the scriptures. Whereas our fast food free will theologians who are simply tweaked natural men cannot interpret the spiritual meaning of the scriptures. Our fast food free will theologians cannot even get the spiritual meaning of the law. Or in Romans seven fourteen, it tells us that the law is spiritual. And our fast food free will theologians are not spiritual, for they preach free will, and free will is a fiction. They have cooperation with God upon their new creation. And if so, their conversion is not like our natural birth. The new creation is a new creature, a new creation with no fingerprints of cooperation upon it. What is of the flesh is flesh, and what is of the spirit is spirit or spiritual. Our fast food free will theologians stumble at a most critical point, and that is the function of the law after we are saved. Just ask them, what is the function of the law after we are saved? And essentially, if we pin them down, what they are basically saying is that we follow the law with the booster shot from the Holy Spirit. But every new creation innately knows how to use the law without anybody explaining that to him. Every new creation is spiritual. And thus, every new creation innately knows how to use the law, which is spiritual, just like a baby knows how to feed from its mother's breasts. The baby can't explain it. And the baby Christian can't explain how he uses law. He just innately knows that the law demands perfection and the law exposes the evil proclivities of his heart and keeps him in a state of repentance. And he has the oil of joy for mourning, the garment of praise for the spirit of heaviness, beauty for ashes, etc. It is a paradoxical truth that does not need to be explained to him because the entire new creation is paradoxical in nature. So we ask our fast food free will friends two questions. Number one, is the will free or bound in salvation? Almost every one of them is going to say that the will is free in salvation, but we can prove by self-evident truths that free will is a fiction. And Martin Luther in his book, Bondage of the Will, which he wrote in response to Erasmus who wrote Freedom of the Will, Martin Luther says in that book that free will is a fiction and that even reason herself 
tells us so. And thus our fast food free will theologians base their entire theology upon a fiction. The second question we ask them, what is the function of the law after we are born again? And they begin to dance, even on simple verses like Romans 3.20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, that is by attempting to follow the law, there shall no flesh be justified in his sight. So by following the law, there's no way we can be found innocent in God's courtroom. For by the law, that is, for by the deeds of the law is the knowledge of sin, not virtue. All the law can do is condemn. If we are getting the booster shot from the Holy Spirit, we are still following the law. Whereas Jesus said, think not that I came to destroy the law, but I fulfill the moral law for you. I don't want you adding on to my obedience. All the law can do is condemn and throw you to my feet, crying out for mercy, that I might reach down and lift you up and embrace you, saying to you, fear not, for my Father in heaven's wrath is subdued, for my Son has fulfilled the moral law for you, which is called the righteousness of God. And thus just have faith in the righteousness of God as your ticket into heaven. To help us see how shady our fast food free will theologians can become, let us turn to John Bunyan's Pilgrim's Progress, which some say is the second most read Christian book in the world, printed in 1678, and some say it has never been out of print. John Bunyan its author was put in prison for preaching the gospel in England and he wrote Pilgrim's Progress while he was in prison. We haven't spoken about Pilgrim's Progress for quite a while. If you refer to earlier episodes, we have a lot of Pilgrim's Progress involved in many of the messages. Pilgrim's Progress is written in an allegorical format and the book begins with the character Christian reading the Bible and he fears destruction is gonna come upon his city. So evangelist tells him to head towards straight as a gate and narrow as a way in order to be saved. And then after he gets through the straight as a gate and narrow as a way, the rest of the book tells him of all the different problems and characters that they meet on their way to the celestial city or heaven. This part is when Christian and his friend Hopeful begin to question ignorance. Listen carefully, but in certain points we will stop and make comments about the subject matter and apply it to the function of the law that we are speaking of right now. Essentially, if Jesus has completely fulfilled the moral law for us, then Jesus does not want us to add one iota of our effort to his effort. And thus, if we follow the law, we are in sin, for we are adding on to Jesus' obedience. So then we ask our fast food free will friends, well, what is the function of the law 
and that is when they begin to dance. Let us now pick up the discourse between ignorance and Christian. This is entitled, The Discourse of Christian and Ignorance. I saw then in my dream that Hopeful, which was Christian's friend, looked back and saw ignorance whom they had left behind coming after. Look, said he to Christian, how far yonder youngster loiters behind. Christian, I, I, I see him. He cares not for our company. Hopeful, but I trow it would not have hurt him had he kept pace with us hitherto. Christian, that's true. But I warned you, he thinks otherwise. Hopeful, that I think he doth. But, however, let us tarry for him. So they did. Christian, then Christian said to ignorance, Come away, man. Why do you stay behind? Ignorance, I take my pleasure in walking alone, even more a great deal than in company, unless I like the better. Christian, then said Christian to Hopeful, but softly, did I not tell you he cared not for our company? But however, said he, come up and let us talk away the time in this solitary place. Then directing his speech to ignorance, he said, Come, how do you? How stands it between God and your soul now? Ignorance, I hope well, for I am always full of good motions that come into my mind to comfort me as I walk. Christian, what good motions? Pray tell us, ignorance, why I think of God and heaven. Christian, so do the devils and damned souls. Ignorance, but I think of them and desire them. Christian, so do many that are never like to become there. The soul of the sluggard desires and hath nothing. Ignorance, but I think of them and leave all for them. Christian, that I doubt, for leaving of all is a hard matter. Yea, a harder matter than many are aware of. But why or by what art thou persuaded that thou hast left all for God and heaven? Ignorance. My heart tells me so. Christian, the wise man says, he that trusts in his own heart is a fool. Ignorance. This is spoken of, of an evil heart. But mine is a good heart. Christian, but how dost thou prove that? Ignorance. It comforts me in the hopes of heaven. Christian, that may be through its deceitfulness. For a man's heart may minister comfort to him in the hopes of that thing for which he yet has no ground to hope. Ignorance. But my heart and my life agree together, and therefore my hope is well grounded. Christian, who told thee that thy heart and life agree together? Ignorance. My heart tells me so. Christian, ask my fellow if I be a thief. The heart tells thee so. Except the word of God bears witness in this matter. 
other testimony is of no value. Ignorance. But is it not a good heart that has good thoughts? And is it not a good life, one that is according to God's commandments? Christian, yes, that is a good heart that hath good thoughts. And that is a good life that is according to God's commandments. But it is one thing indeed to have these, and another thing only to think so. Ignorance. Pray what count you good thoughts and a life according to God's commandments. Christian, there are good thoughts of diverse kinds, some respecting ourselves, some respecting God, and some Christ, and some other things. Ignorance. What be good thoughts respecting ourselves? Christian, such as agree with the word of God. Ignorance. When do our thoughts of ourselves agree with the word of God? Christian, when we pass the same judgment upon ourselves, which the word of God passes. To explain myself, the word of God saith of persons in a natural condition, there is none righteous. There is none that doeth good. It saith also that every imagination of the heart of man is only evil and that continually. And again, the imagination of man's heart is evil from his youth. Now then, when we think thus of ourselves, having sense thereof, then our thoughts are good ones because they are according to the word of God. Ignorance. I will never believe that my heart is that bad. Christian, therefore, thou never hadst one good thought concerning thyself in thy life. But let me go on. As the word passes a judgment upon our heart, so it passes a judgment upon our ways. And when our thoughts of our hearts and our ways agree with the judgment which the word of God gives both, then are both good because agreeing thereof. Ignorance. Make out your meaning, Christian. Why the word of God says that men's ways are crooked ways, not good, but perverse. It says they are naturally out of the good way that they have not known it. Now, when a man thus thinks of his ways, I say, when he doth sensibly and with heart humiliation thus think, then hath he good thoughts of his own ways because his thoughts now agree with the judgment of the word of God. Ignorance. What are good thoughts concerning God? Christian, even as I have said concerning ourselves, when our thoughts of God do agree with what the word saith of him, 
And that is when we think of his being and attributes as the word hath taught, of which I cannot now discourse at large, but to speak of him with reverence to us, then we have right thoughts of God when we think that he knows us better than we know ourselves and can see sin in us when and where we can see none in ourselves. When we think he knows our inmost thoughts and that our heart with all its depths is always open to his eyes also. When we think that all our righteousness, all our self-righteousness stinks in his nostrils and that therefore he cannot abide to see us stand before him in any confidence, even of all our best performances. Now, the best performances would be in trying to do the best we can to follow the law. Ignorance. Do you think that I am such a fool as to think God can see no further than I, or that I would come to God in the best of my performances? Christian, how dost thou think in this matter? Now, in this part, we find that ignorance becomes very slippery, just as our fast food free will theologians do. Ignorance. I believe that Christ died for sinners and that I shall be justified or made innocent in God's courtroom, justified before God from the curse through his gracious acceptance of my obedience to his law. Or thus, Christ makes my duties that are religious, acceptable to his father by virtue of his merits, and so shall I be justified. In other words, instead of Christ fulfilling the entire moral law for us, and he does not want us to add one iota to his obedience, ignorance is saying, I can follow the law just as I did as a non-Christian. But after I became a Christian, I still follow the law and my obedience is accepted by my Father in heaven by virtue of Christ's obedience. And this is a fancy way of saying that as Christians, we can follow the law with the booster shot from the Holy Spirit and it is acceptable to God because of Christ's obedience. Instead of saying, that the law is spiritual and thus has a completely different function than it does before we are converted. Former Mr. Morality says the following. Romans chapter 7, verse 19. I, former Mr. Morality, find a law that when I would do good, evil is present with me. My evil sin nature is present with me. Now, our fast food free will theologians don't want to mention or put on the front burner that the fountain from which all evil in this world flows comes right out of our own heart. 
and that the law is there to expose those evil proclivities. Because once the law begins to expose those evil proclivities, we will see that our heart is so evil, we will always pick a fake Jesus and not the true Jesus. Thus, our fast food free will theologians say they believe in original sin, but they are not going to put it on the front burner. But former Mr. Morality says, I find a law that is a principle that when I would do good, when I would try to follow the commandments, my evil sin nature is ever before me. I delight now in the law of God after the inward man, after the new creation. The new creation knows that when Jesus says, therefore be ye perfect as my Father in heaven is perfect, that Jesus actually meant that. So when we are made a new creation, it becomes written in the new creation's heart that the law demands perfection. And former Mr. Morality says, I delight in the law of God after the new creation. But I find another law working in my members, warring against the law of my mind, which now tells me that the law demands perfection. I find another law warring against the law of my mind, bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, to the principle of sin. And what is the principle of sin? If we break the law, we sin. If we follow the law, imperfectly not perfectly it is also sin and so what do i say oh wretched man that i am who shall deliver me from the body of this death therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus and our fast food free will theologians then leave out the next part because they don't want a condition therefore there is no condemnation to those who are in christ jesus who here's the condition Walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And to walk after the spirit is to be in a constant state of repentance. Saying as former Mr. Morality, as a new creation said, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? And thus the righteousness of God will be fulfilled in those who walk not according to the flesh, but according to the spirit. Now let us continue with ignorance and his slippery discussion of how a fast food free will convert follows the law after being born again. Ignorance. Do you think that I am such a fool as to think God can see no further than I or that I would come to God in the best of my performances? Christian. Why, how dost thou think in this matter? Ignorance. Why, to be short, I think I must believe in Christ for justification. Justification means innocent in God's courtroom or holy in God's courtroom. Christian, how think that thou must believe in Christ? when thou seest not thy need of him. Now, John Bunyan, who wrote Pilgrim's Progress, knows that there are two questions that we can ask our fast food free will friends that separate the doctrine of the bondage of the will from the doctrine of the freedom of the will. The first question that we ask our fast food free will friends do you believe that the will is free or bound in salvation? And probably 
up over 98% of the churches in America are going to say they believe the will is free. And we have many times over proved that the doctrine of free will is false using simply self-evident truths. Martin Luther himself, who was the king of the Reformation, writes in his book, The Bondage of the Will, that free will is a fiction. And thus, if we think of the Bible as a skyscraper, that skyscraper has a foundation in which the rest of the building is built upon. What our fast food free will friends and theologians do is to try to lure us into debating not whether or not the will is free or bound because they can never win the debate. They want us to debate them on the color of the carpets, the color of the paint, the texture of the walls, the windows, the plumbing, etc., etc. But common sense tells us if the foundation of that skyscraper is built upon the fictional doctrine of free will. What value is it to discuss the trivial insignificancies of the carpets, plumbing, walls, etc.? The second question, which separates the bondage of the will doctrine from the freedom of the will doctrine, is what is the function of the law? or the commands after we are born again. Once we ask our fast food free will friends what the function of the law is after they are born again, they begin to dance. For our fast food free will theologians are not spiritual, but the law is spiritual in Romans chapter seven, verse 14. And only the spiritual can innately know what the function of the law is to a spiritual man. Our fast food free will theologians will say that the law is our schoolmaster to bring us to Christ. But our question is, what do we do with the law after we are born again? Do we follow the law? For if we are following the law, what need is there of Christ? And our fast food free will theologians go into a blank stare at this point. For how many of us that are in the free will churches have heard our fast food free will theologians say that we are saved by faith that Jesus died for our sins, but leave out that we also must have faith that Jesus fulfilled the moral law for us. Now, why did they leave that out? Well, if Jesus fulfilled the moral law for us, do we as John Q. Public of America think that Jesus wants us adding on to what he did? Jesus, I think not. I came to destroy the law, but I came to fulfill the law for you. If Jesus fulfilled the law for us, it is blasphemy for us to want to add on to his perfect fulfillment of the moral law for us. Now back to John Bunyan and his character, Ignorance. Ignorance is much more sophisticated than our fast food free will theologians of today. Let us return uh, to Pilgrim's Progress. Ignorance, do you think that I am such a fool 
as to think God can see no further than I, or that I would come to God in the best of my performances? Christian, why, how dost thou think in this matter? Ignorance. Why, to be short, I think I must believe in Christ for justification. That is justification that ignorance is saying, I will be found innocent in God's courtroom. And the only way we can be found innocent in God's courtroom is if we follow the commandments perfectly. Christian, how think that thou must believe in Christ when thou seest not thy need of him? Adam was holy before he broke the one commandment and was driven out of the Garden of Eden. Once Adam was outside the Garden of Eden, the only way to get back into the Garden of Eden would be to be the way he was before he got driven out, before he broke one commandment. Adam would again have to be holy, and the only way to be holy is for Adam to again keep the commandments perfectly. But now he has a sin nature. He's a liar by nature. There is no way to keep the commandments perfectly. So there is only one way for any of us natural men Americans to get to heaven. And that is to have faith in somebody who did keep the commandments perfectly and who took on the penalty for us who did not keep the commandments perfectly. He, Jesus, who knew no sin, that is, he kept the commandments perfectly, was made sin, what kind of a sin? Original sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God. What is the righteousness of God? But both the passive and active obedience of Jesus. That is what makes us holy. Faith in the righteousness of God makes us again holy because Jesus fulfilled the moral law for us and took on hell for us. So again, the question is, what is the function of the law after we are born again, after we are made a new creation? What is the function of the law? Well, essentially, our fast food free will theologians say to us, just get the booster shot from the Holy Spirit to follow the law. And that will be acceptable to God. But the fact of the matter is we are still following the law. And pretty soon we begin to start pulling out of the pollutions of the world. And we thank God for helping us to follow the law in a more powerful way than before we were converted. But then why do we need Christ? Because Christ fulfilled the moral law for us. And when we get the booster shot from the Holy Spirit to follow the law, we are in reality put right back under the law. So what is the need of Christ? There's no need of Christ to follow the law perfectly for us, for we can just add on to what he does and we hope that is going to be acceptable to him. There are several scriptural ways to prove this, but here is an easy one. We ask our fast food free will friends, do you believe that all our self-righteousness is nothing more than filthy rags. And they all say, well, of course we do. And then we say to them, who do we think Isaiah was saying that to? Was Isaiah saying that to unbelievers or to believers? And most of them think that that is before we are converted. 
but they didn't read Isaiah's prayer carefully. For this comes out of Isaiah 63 and Isaiah 64. The last verse of Isaiah 63 says this, we are thine. In order for Isaiah to say that, the we would have to refer to the believers. We are thine. Thou never bearest rule over them. They are not called by thy name. Now, you can't get any clearer than that, that the we is speaking to the believers. Now, we go down to Isaiah 64, verse 6. But we, that is, the believers, are all as an unclean thing, and all our, that is, the believers, all our righteousness, all our self-righteousnesses are as filthy rags. Oops, what are our fast food free will friends going to say to this? For self-righteousness is nothing more than our ability to follow the law. And we cannot follow it perfectly. And what does Jesus command this? I command you, be ye therefore perfect, even as your Father in heaven is perfect. But our fast food free will theologians and friends will come back and say, but he really doesn't mean that. What he really means, I command you, you endeavor to be perfect even as your Father in heaven is perfect. Our fast food free will theologians and friends are always trying to twist the scriptures to match their natural man. So let us go back to Pilgrim's Progress. Ignorance. Do you think that I am such a fool as to think God can see no further than I? Or that I would come to God in the best of my performances? Christian, why, how dost thou think in this matter? Ignorance. Why, to be short, I think I must believe in Christ for justification. In other words, Christ is going to make me innocent in God's courtroom. And the only way I can be innocent is if I fulfill the commandments perfectly. Ignorance. Why, to be short, I think I must believe in Christ for justification. Christian, how think thou must believe in Christ when thou seest not thy need of him? Thou neither seest thy original or actual infirmities. So Christian is saying this, thou neither seest thy original sin. You don't see the evil proclivities of your heart. You do not see that original sin is sin and that your original sin is condemning you to hell. Thou neither seest thy original sin nor your actual sins. So Christian is saying that the function of the law is not to follow, but to expose 
the evil proclivities of your heart that you might repent over those evil proclivities before they become an act of sin. But if the evil black cat gets out of the hat, that becomes an act of sin and you need to repent over that also. But it's too late then. You've already become immoral. Again, Christian, how think that thou must believe in Christ when thou seest not thy need of him. Thou neither seest thy original nor actual infirmities, but hast such an opinion of thyself and of what thou doest as plainly renders thee to be one that never did see a necessity of Christ's personal righteousness to justify thee before God. How then dost thou say, I believe in Christ? So the function of the law after we are born again is to do two things. And the person that is made a new creation does not even need to be instructed in this because it comes with the package of the new creation. The new creation inst instinctively knows just as a baby instinctively knows how to breastfeed from his mother. The new creation instinctively knows that the law demands perfection. The law now of perfection is written in his heart. But before he was saved, the fig leaves of morality was written in his heart. And what are the fig leaves of morality? The fig leaves of morality simply cover over the evil proclivities of our heart, making us think we're acceptable to God. And that is why if we ask the question, what is the ticket into heaven to any of us natural men Americans, the answer always comes back the same to do the best we can, the golden rule, love, be kind. All of us believe that the fig leaves of morality are our ticket into heaven. And those fig leaves of morality, that self-righteousness must die a death before we will ever hunger and thirst after the righteousness of God. And why is that? Because the fig leaves of morality are our security blanket and none of us as natural men Americans want to get rid of our security blanket for we would be getting rid of our ticket into heaven. But if we just use common sense, the fig leaves of morality can only cover over the evil proclivities of our heart. It cannot eradicate those evil proclivities of our heart. And thus, what good are the fig leaves of morality? The fig leaves of morality cannot make us holy. We need both the passive and active obedience of Jesus Christ to make us holy. The function of the law after we are born again demands perfection and secondly exposes the evil proclivities of our heart. When you put those two together, that the law demands perfection and that following the law can only cover over those evil proclivities, common sense tells us there is no way we are going to heaven by our self-righteousness. And thus we are between a rock 
and a hard place. There has got to be another answer. And what is that answer? But the passive and active obedience of Jesus Christ, which is called the righteousness of God. We must have faith in the righteousness of God. Back to Pilgrim's Progress. Christian, how think thou must believe in Christ when thou seest not thy need of him? Thou neither seest thy original nor actual infirmities, but hast such an opinion of thyself and of what thou doest as plainly renders thee to be one that did never see a necessity of Christ's personal righteousness to justify thee, ignorance, before God. How then dost thou say, I believe in Christ? So what did Christian say again? Thou, ignorance, neither seest thy original nor actual infirmities, but has such an opinion of thyself. In other words, you are arrogant, ignorance. And of what thou doest. In other words, you are still following the law. There is still some self-righteousness in you. Ignorance, you do not have that broken spirit and contrite heart. But King David understood about this in Psalm 34, verse 15. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous, those that have the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ. The eyes of the Lord are upon the righteous and his ears are open unto their cry. Verse 16, the face of the Lord is against them that do evil. If we follow the law partially, it's evil because God expects perfection. The face of the Lord is against them that do evil to cut off the remembrance of them from the earth. Verse 17, the righteous cry and the Lord heareth and delivereth them out of all their troubles. Verse 18, the Lord is nigh or close. The Lord is nigh unto them that are of a broken heart. And who does he save? and saveth such as be of a contrite spirit. Or Mr. Morality, or former Mr. Self-Righteousness himself to his brethren in Rome, now that he was a true believer. Romans chapter 7, verse 21. I, former Mr. Self-Righteousness, find then a law or a principle that when I would do Good, when I would attempt to follow the commands of God, evil is present with me. My evil sin nature is present with me. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God. I now delight in the law of God, which demands perfection because it comes with the package of the new creation. Verse 22, for I delight in the law of God after the inward man, after the new creation. Verse 23, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind, which demands perfection. 
and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin or the principle of sin. And what is the principle of sin? If we follow the law, it's sin because we can't follow it perfectly. If we deliberately break the law, it is sin. For I delight in the law of God after the inward man, but I see another law in my members warring against the law of my mind and bringing me into captivity to the law of sin, which is in my members. Verse 24, O wretched man that I am, who shall deliver me from the body of this death? Verse 25, I thank God through Jesus Christ our Lord, so then with the mind, that is my mind now, knows that Jesus demands perfection. I thank God through Jesus Christ, our Lord. So then with the mind, I myself serve the law of God, but with the flesh, the law of sin. I, as the apostle Paul, am in captivity to the law of sin. If I follow the law, I sin. If I break the law of sin. So what is the only thing that I can say? But, oh, wretched man that I am. And then I remember what Jesus had said. Blessed are those who mourn. Mourn over what? That they are in captivity to the law of sin and they are saying, oh, wretched man that I am. Blessed are those who mourn. For what? For they shall be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they shall inherit the earth. Blessed are they who hunger and thirst after righteousness, after the righteousness of God by faith. And what? They shall be filled with what? With the love of Jesus Christ. And then in Romans 8, there is therefore now no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. And when we walk after the spirit, we have a broken spirit and a contrite heart. And we're crying out, oh, wretched man that I am. We are at the feet of Jesus, crying out for mercy. Jesus is lifting us up, saying, fear not, my father's wrath has been subdued, for I have fulfilled the moral law for you. Think not that I came to destroy the law, but to fulfill the moral law for you. In that brokenness, verse 4, the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us, the elect, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So the righteousness of the law is being fulfilled in us who have that broken spirit and contrite heart. Now back to Pilgrim's Progress. And we are going to find that ignorance is not as ignorant as he sounds. For he gives a fairly sophisticated answer, which is nothing more than he, in reality, is adding on to Christ's obedience. And Christ does not want us adding on one iota to his obedience. It's an abomination. Ignorance. Do you think that I am such a fool as to think God can see no further than I, or that I would come to God in the best of my performances? Christian, why, how dost thou think in this matter? Ignorance. Why, to be short, I think I must believe in Christ for justification. Christian, how think that thou must believe in Christ 
when thou seest not thy need of Christ. Thou neither seest thy original nor actual sins, but hast such an opinion of thyself and of what thou doest as plainly renders thee to be one that did never see a necessity of Christ's personal righteousness to justify thee before God. That is to make thee innocent in God's courtroom. For Christ fulfilled the moral law for you. So what in the world are you doing? Trying to add on to his obedience. Ignorance. I believe well enough for all that. Christian, how dost thou believe? Now listen carefully to ignorance's answer. I believe that Christ died for sinners and that I shall be justified, found innocent in God's courtroom before God from the curse. What was the curse? The curse is that the law demands perfection. Former Mr. Morality said, as many are of the works of the law are under the curse of the law. I believe that Christ died for sinners and that I shall be justified before God from the curse through Christ's gracious acceptance of my obedience to the law. Now, why would Christ accept his obedience when Christ already fulfilled the moral law? Or thus, Christ makes my duties that are religious acceptable to his Father by virtue of his merits, and so shall I be justified. You see how sophisticated Satan can be. For Christ fulfilled the entire moral law for us, and we can only come to Christ in that broken spirit and contrite heart, knowing that we have no righteousness. Christian, let me give an answer to this confession of thy faith. Number one, thou believest with a fantastical faith. For this faith is nowhere described in the word of God. Number two, Thou believest with a false faith because it taketh justification from the personal righteousness of Christ and applies it to thy own. In other words, ignorance, what you are really doing is simply doing what is in your DNA. Innately, you believe that the ticket into heaven is to do the best you can do, love the golden rule, be kind, etc. That is in your DNA. You do not want to give up that self-righteousness. And thus, instead of being condemned by the law of perfection, you want to add on to Jesus' perfect fulfillment of the law for you. And thus, there is no way you are going to be in captivity to the law of sin, crying out, oh, wretched man that I am, as former Mr. Morality did as a believer. Number two, 
again. Thou, ignorance, believest with a false faith, because it taketh the justification from the personal righteousness of Christ and applies it to thy own. Number three, this faith makes not Christ a justifier of thy person, but of thy actions and of thy person for thy actions sake, which is false. Number four, therefore, this faith is deceitful, even such as will leave thee under wrath in the day of God Almighty. For true justifying faith puts the soul as sensible of its lost condition by the law upon flying for refuge unto Christ's righteousness, which righteousness of his is not an act of grace by which he makes for justification thy obedience accepted with God, but his personal obedience to the law in doing and suffering for us what that required at our hands. This righteousness, I say, true faith accepts under the skirt of which the soul being shrouded and by it presented as spotless before God, it is accepted and acquitted from condemnation. In other words, innocent in God's courtroom. Ignorance. What would you have us trust to what Christ in his own person has done without us? This conceit would loosen the reins of our lust and tolerate us to live as we list. For what matter how we live if we may be justified by Christ's personal righteousness from all when we believe it. In other words, if Christ fulfilled the moral law for us, we would become completely complacent and the evil proclivities of our heart would easily escape. What difference would it be how we lived? For Christ has done everything for us. Now, what is missing here? What is missing is that ignorance does not understand the function of the law. The law as a new creation, the law demands perfection. And the second thing, the law exposes the evil proclivities of our heart that we might be in a state of repentance before the evil black cat escapes. David says, I acknowledge my transgression and my sin, my sin nature now is ever before me against thee and thee only have I sinned, done this evil in thy sight. Because now I am repenting over the evil proclivities of my heart before they become an active sin and thus nobody else knows about it. It's just between me and God in order that God might be justified in justifying me. Because now I have a broken spirit and a contrite heart. In that same psalm, David writes the following. Verse 16, For thou desirest not sacrifice, else I would give it. 
Thou delightest not in burnt offerings, which is the righteousness of God. Verse 17, the sacrifices of God are a broken spirit, a broken and a contrite heart, O God, thou wilt not despise. Then shalt thou be pleased with the sacrifices of righteousness, with burnt offerings and whole burnt offerings. Then shall they offer bullocks upon thine altar. Ignorance again. What? Would you have us trust to what Christ in his own person has done without us? This conceit would loosen the reins of our lusts, our evil proclivities of our heart, and tolerate us to live as we list. For what matter how we live, if we may be justified by Christ's personal righteousness from all when we believe it. Christian, ignorance is thy name. And as thy name is, so art thou. Even this thy answer demonstrates what I say. Ignorant thou art of what justifying righteousness is. And as ignorant how to secure thy soul through the faith of it from the heavy wrath of God. Yea, thou also art ignorant of the true effects of saving faith in this righteousness of Christ, which is to bow and win over the heart to God in Christ, to love his name, to love his word, to love his ways, and to love his people, and not as thou ignorantly imaginest, hopeful. Ask him if ever he had Christ revealed to him from heaven. Ignorance. What? You are a man of revelations? I do believe that what both you and all the rest of you say about that matter is but the fruit of distracted brains. Hopeful. Why, man, Christ is so hid in God from the natural apprehensions of the flesh that he cannot by any man be savingly known unless God the Father reveals him to them. Ignorance, that is your faith, but not mine. Yet mine, I doubt not, is as good as yours, though I have not in my head so many whimsies as you. Christian, give me leave to put in a word. You ought not so slightly to speak of this matter. For this I will boldly affirm, even as my good companion hath done, that no man can know Jesus Christ but by the revelation of the Father. Yea, and faith too, by which the soul lays hold upon Christ, if it be right, must be wrought by the exceeding greatness of his 
mighty power. The working of which faith I perceive, poor ignorance thou art ignorant of. Be awakened, then see thine own wretchedness and fly to the Lord Jesus and by his righteousness, which is the righteousness of God, for he himself is God. Thou shalt be delivered from condemnation. Ignorance, you go so fast, I cannot keep pace with you. Do you go on before I must stay a while behind? Then Christian and Hopeful said, Well, ignorance, wilt thou yet foolish be to slight good counsel ten times given thee? And if thou yet refuse it, thou shalt know ere long the evil of thy doing so. Remember man in time. Stoop, do not fear. Good counsel taken well saves. Therefore hear, but if thou yet slight it, thou wilt be the loser, ignorance. I'll warrant thee. Then Christian addressed himself thus to his fellow. Christian, well, come, my good hopeful. I perceive that thou and I must walk by ourselves again. So we may be wondering, as natural men Americans, what all this has to do with delivering us natural men Americans who are trapped in a sin. As we mentioned in our last message, that in order to be delivered from an addiction, we must first figure out what caused the addiction? And we discovered that God gives us over to the evil proclivities of our heart when we desire to have those evil proclivities rather than repenting over the evil proclivities of our heart before they end up being an act of sin. So, for example, we found that drunkenness was a sin and that God gives us a conscience as our protector. But instead of using our conscience to protect us through repentance, we decided to subdue our conscience by getting high, say, upon alcohol. And thus we found out we enjoyed it. And so God eventually just gave us over to the evil proclivity of drunkenness and we became so addicted to it that we gave up our job for it we gave up our family for it we ate and slept and drank alcohol alcohol became our god we worshiped it day and night and we found in our last message that god even gave former mr morality before he was converted over to the sin of envy, which led then to the murder of God or the murder of Jesus by handing Jesus over to Pilate to be crucified. So if we are trapped in an addiction, we must first recognize that God gave us over 
to that particular evil proclivity because we chose to worship that evil proclivity over him. And our God in heaven is a jealous God. Moses writes in Exodus chapter 34, verse 14, For thou shalt worship no other God, for the Lord whose name is jealous is a jealous God. Verse 12, Take heed to thyself, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land whither thou goest, lest it be for a snare in the midst of thee. Verse 13, But ye shall destroy their altars, break their images, and cut down their groves. Verse 14, For thou shalt worship no other god, for the Lord, whose name is Jealous, is a jealous god. Verse 15, lest thou make a covenant with the inhabitants of the land and they go a whoring after their gods and do sacrifice unto their gods and one call thee and thou eat of his sacrifice. Verse 16, and thou take of their daughters unto thy sons and their daughters go a whoring after their gods and make thy sons go a whoring after their gods. Verse 17, thou shalt make the no molten gods. Thus we see that our Father in heaven is very serious about the first commandment. Moses, who received the Ten Commandments from God, wrote about it in Deuteronomy chapter 5, verse 2. The Lord our God made a covenant with us in Horeb. That is, when Moses received the Ten Commandments at Mount Sinai. Verse 3. The Lord made not this covenant with our fathers, but with us, even us, that would be us Americans also, who are all of us here alive this day. Verse 4, the Lord talked with you face to face in the mount of the midst of the fire. Some of us Americans may not realize that when God came to give Moses the Ten Commandments, that not only did the Lord descend upon it in a fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount greatly quaked, but also that the Lord had a voice. Exodus chapter 19, verse 17. And Moses brought forth the people out of the camp to meet with God. And they stood at the nether part of the mount, verse 18. And Mount Sinai was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire. And the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace. And the whole mount quaked greatly. Verse 19. And when the voice of the trumpet sounded long and waxed louder and louder, Moses spake and God answered him by a voice. Verse 20, And the Lord came down upon Mount Sinai on the top of the mount, and the Lord called Moses up to the top of the mount, and Moses went up. Verse 25, So Moses went down unto the people and spake unto them, 
Exodus chapter 20, verse 1. And God spake all these words, saying, verse 2, I am the Lord thy God, which have bought thee out of the land of Egypt, out of the house of bondage. And here is the first commandment. Verse 3. Thou shalt have no other gods before me. Remember, he said he was a jealous God. Verse 4. Thou shalt not make unto thee any graven image or any likeness of anything that is in heaven above or that is in the earth beneath or that is in the water under the earth. Verse 5. Thou shalt not bow down thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God, visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. So our God is a jealous God, and we are to worship him and him only. And if we do not, thou shalt not bow thyself to them, nor serve them. For I, the Lord thy God, am a jealous God. And here's the penalty. Visiting the iniquity of the fathers upon the children unto the third and fourth generation of them that hate me. So that penalty goes down to our descendants to the third and fourth generation. Verse 6, And showing mercy unto thousands of them that love me and keep my commandments. Verse 7, Thou shalt not take the name of the Lord thy God in vain, for the Lord will not hold him guiltless that taketh his name in vain. Verse 8, Remember the Sabbath day to keep it holy. Verse 9. Six days thou shalt labor and do all thy work. Verse 10. But the seventh day is the Sabbath of the Lord thy God. In it thou shalt not do any work. Thou, nor thy son, nor thy daughter, thy manservant, nor thy maidservant, nor thy cattle, nor thy stranger that is within thy gates. Verse 11, For in six days the Lord made the heaven and the earth, the sea and all that is in them, and rested the seventh day, whereof the Lord blessed the Sabbath day and hallowed it, that is, made it holy. Isaiah fifty-eight thirteen. We find the blessings if we will keep the Sabbath day. Isaiah 58, verse 13, If thou turn away thy foot, from the Sabbath, from doing thy pleasure on my holy day, and call the Sabbath a delight, the holy of the Lord, honorable, and shalt honor him, not doing thine own ways, nor finding thine own pleasure, nor speaking thine own words. Verse 14. Then shalt thou delight thyself in the Lord, and I will cause thee to ride upon the high places of the earth and feed thee with the heritage of Jacob thy father 
for the mouth of the Lord hath spoken it. And here is the penalty for not keeping the Sabbath. Jeremiah chapter 17, verse 27. But if ye will not hearken unto me to hallow or make holy the Sabbath day and not to bear a burden, even entering in at the gates of Jerusalem on the Sabbath day, then will I kindle a fire in the gates. The gates where it'd be like Washington, D.C. I will kindle a fire in the gates thereof, and it shall devour the palaces of Jerusalem, and it shall not be quenched. Now, back to the Ten Commandments, verse 12. Honor thy father and thy mother in order that thy days may be long upon the land which the Lord thy God giveth thee. Verse 13, thou shalt not kill. Verse 14, thou shalt not commit adultery. Now God was very, very serious about adultery. So what was the civil law of Israel concerning adultery? When we are talking about the civil laws, we're talking about the laws of the country, like the laws of America. Well, what was the law concerning adultery in Israel? Leviticus chapter 20, verse 10. And the man that committeth adultery with another man's wife, even he that committeth adultery with his neighbor's wife, the adulterer and the adulteress shall surely be put to death. So God takes his commandments very seriously. And that is why Mount Sinai, where Moses received the Ten Commandments, was altogether on a smoke because the Lord descended upon it in fire and the smoke thereof ascended as the smoke of a furnace and the whole mount quaked greatly. And that is to show us that we should fear the commandments or we cannot keep them perfectly. Verse 18 of Exodus 20. And all the people saw the thunders and the lightnings and the noise of the trumpet and the mountain smoking. And when the people saw it, they removed and stood afar off. Verse 19. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear. But let not God speak with us, lest we die. In other words, God's voice came with such power that they did not want to hear it anymore, for they thought they might die. King David writes in Psalm 143, verse 2, And enter not into judgments with thy servant, for in thy sight shall no man living be justified. No man living. None of us, natural men, Americans, will be justified before God as natural men. None of us will be found innocent in God's courtroom apart from the imputed righteousness of Jesus Christ, that is, the second Adam. Verse 19 again. And they said unto Moses, Speak thou with us, and we will hear, but let not God speak with us, lest we die. Verse 20, And Moses said unto the people, Fear not, for God 
has come to prove you and that his fear may be before your faces that ye sin not. In other words, we are to fear the Ten Commandments so that we sin not. And the people stood afar off and Moses drew near unto the thick darkness where God was. Former Mr. Morality makes it perfectly clear that by attempting to follow the commandments, none of us will be found innocent in God's courtroom. He writes to his brethren in Rome, Romans chapter 3, verse 20. Therefore, by the deeds of the law, therefore, by attempting to follow the law, no man shall be justified. No man shall be found innocent in God's courtroom. For by following the law is the knowledge of sin, not of virtue. All that happens when we follow the law is that we cover over the evil proclivities of our heart rather than using the law to expose the evil proclivities of our heart, showing us that those evil proclivities of our heart cannot be eradicated, which leaves us hopeless because there's no way by following the law we can be holy. And thus we are left with only one option, that is to hunger and thirst after the righteousness of God by faith. The second Adam fulfilled the moral law for us. In former Mr. Morality writes in chapter 3 of Romans, verse 20, Therefore by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight. For by the law is the knowledge of sin. Verse 21, But now the righteousness of God, that is that Jesus fulfilled the moral law for us, without the law is manifested, is revealed, being witnessed by the law. When we use the law to expose the evil proclivities of our heart, that is the proper use of the law, is revealed, being witnessed by the law and the prophets. Verse 22, even the righteousness of God, which is by faith of Jesus Christ unto all and upon all, that believe. Verse 23, for all have sinned and come short of the glory of God. And which all? We discussed earlier, verse 24, a participle modifying all, being justified freely by his grace. For all the ones being freely justified by his grace have sinned and are coming short of the glory of God. So in conclusion, what is the cause of, say, drunkenness? The cause of drunkenness is that God gave us over to drunkenness because we desired to worship drinking over him. And he is a jealous God, and there is a penalty for not obeying his commands. Let us end with some hope by reading some excerpts from Psalm 103. The Lord executeth righteousness and judgment 
for all that are oppressed. Verse 7. He made known his ways unto Moses, his acts unto the children of Israel. Verse 8. The Lord is merciful and gracious, slow to anger and plenteous in mercy. Verse 9. He will not always chide, neither will he keep his anger forever. Verse 10. He hath not dealt with us after our sins, nor rewarded us according to our iniquities. Verse 11, For as the heaven is high above the earth, so great is his mercy toward them that, who? Them that fear him. Verse 12, As far as the east is from the west, so far hath he removed our transgressions from us. Verse 13, like a father pitieth his children, so the Lord pitieth them that fear him. Verse 14, For he knoweth our frame, he remembereth that we are dust. Verse 15, As for a man his days are as grass, as a flower of the field, so he flourishes. Verse 16, The wind passes over it, and it is gone, and the place thereof shall know it no more. Verse 17, But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon who? Upon them that fear him and his righteousness, that is, his imputed righteousness, that Jesus fulfilled the moral law for us. But the mercy of the Lord is from everlasting to everlasting upon them that fear him and his righteousness unto the children's children, verse 18, to such as keep his covenant and to them that remember his commandments to do them. Verse 19, the Lord hath prepared his throne in the heavens and his kingdom ruleth over all. Now let us end this message with the prayer of Paul's to his Ephesian brethren, which we began this message with. Ephesians 1.15, For I, former Mr. Morality, also after I heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and love unto all the saints, cease not to give thanks for you, making mention of you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give unto you the spirit of wisdom and revelation in the knowledge of him, the eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that ye may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of his inheritance in the saints. What is the exceeding greatness of his power to us who believe in accordance to the working of his mighty power. And the Lord bless thee and keep thee in the name of Jesus. Amen.